Hi, and welcome to the Family Brain Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the glorious and messy world of family life and mental health. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. I'm a licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Austin, Texas. I try to keep it real, and I invite guests who I think might help us navigate this journey of being human. Thanks for listening. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm Megan, and today I have Kelly Ryan, who founded Anchor Meditation after she discovered the benefits of meditation in her own life. And now she works with individuals, people in professional settings, moms, all kinds of people to integrate meditation into people's lives as a way of managing stress and As we know, stress has a major impact on our bodies and on our health. And so she is trying to bring some of the meditation benefits to individuals to help people live better. So I'm so excited to share what she does with you. And thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me on The Family Brain. Today, I have Kelly Ryan. Kelly is a mindset and meditation coach, and I'm so excited to talk to you and just hear more about your story and how you got to this work and what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So you are in San Francisco, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I live in San Francisco, and my husband always makes fun of me because whenever I tell a story, you know that, what is it? Is it American Pie? I think it is. That person that's like one time in band camp. My story is oh, yeah. one time in camp. Because I was like in my 20s. So. Well, it was the glory days, right? It was the glory days, yes. So, but it's so nice to have you here. And I just, I'm more curious to start with sort of what got you into this work. And I know you used to be working in corporate America and this is not that. Uh, that's it is a little sure. help people in corporate America, but how did you get interested in this work to begin with? I was turning 40 um, just over six years ago. And so I think because I was having a big birthday, I was doing a lot of, you know, self-reflection and everything. And at the time I was just under an, a massive amount of stress and had a lot of anxiety and it had um, caused an autoimmune disease, a lot of inflammation in my body. And I had an autoimmune disease and just kind of took a hard look at my life and thought something has to give life's too short. And I don't want to give this example to my kids who um, at the time were eight and 10. Now they're teenagers. Um, And so I went away for my birthday to a retreat and the teacher, I went to a mindfulness class and the teacher said, if you're wishing the past were any different or better than it was, you're living in the past. And if you're experiencing any worry or anxiety, those don't exist in the present moment. They're about the future and um, kind of predicting and catastrophizing all the worst case scenarios as to how the future can play out. And it was just like an aha moment for me where I was like, oh no, I am all of those things most of the time. And so it was a total wake up call. And while I was there, I signed up for some meditation classes and um, just found 
exactly what I needed kind of coming home to myself to start my journey of healing and feeling better and finding more freedom. So um, that's kind of how I stumbled onto this path. And then I immediately, I made myself a promise while I was there that I was going to start meditating every day when I got home. And so I would wake up before my husband and kids and maybe try to spend five or 10 minute, minutes meditating. And within a couple of weeks, I was sleeping through the night. Uh, I had significantly decreased amount of um, pain in my body from my psoriatic arthritis. And I just felt so much more clear and calm and connected that I was hooked. And I was also super curious what the heck was happening because I had been to a lot of doctors before getting diagnosed with my autoimmune disease and been on a lot of medications and different types of, you know, diets and physical therapy and all this stuff. And I was just kind of flabbergasted that no one had suggested meditation because it, it made me feel better than any of those things had been able to do. Yeah. It's interesting how like moments like that can happen that you were at this retreat and just those words like clicked in your brain. And it's like, totally. you could have heard those words at any other time and it would have just been words, but it was like the moment plus the right. Yeah. The right conditions. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Totally. Um, so what's interesting to me is I feel like people talk about meditation all the time, right? Like meditation, meditation. I feel like meditation has a bad rap in a lot of ways. And like, people be like, oh, I'm not that type of person. Yes. Like, <laughs> I always have to be on the go. And I am not a spokesperson for meditation. I, I wish I did it more often because mm-hmm. I, I, I am the person who like, when I'm having a really hard time, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, meditation, you know? And it's like, <laughs> totally. you know, like, trying to bandage the wound. Um, but what do you tell to people that like are kind of hesitant about this idea? And like, that's just weird. And that's for those. other Totally. Thank you so much for asking that question. I have a lot to say about it for one, you know, we just have to realize that we plug in our cell phones and we refresh our browsers and we refuel our cars. And just like those things need energy to sustain, to sustain themselves. So do we. And so it's really important for us to kind of plug ourselves into our connection once a day. And it's just like hygiene for our mental, emotional, spiritual health. Um, a lot of times people feel like they can't meditate because they can't sit still and their mind keeps racing. And that's what minds do. We all have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. So that's a thought every one to three seconds, just constantly going in our mind. Um, so just like when we sit to meditate, our heart keeps speeding and our lungs keep breathing, our minds keep thinking, and that's okay. We're not meditating to stop thinking. That's, I think, a very common misperception. We're actually meditating to stop letting our thoughts control us. And so what happens is when we're not aware of our thoughts, we're just kind of jerked around by our thoughts and they dictate the course of our day. And we're constantly reacting to, you know, incoming emails and text messages and what other people want and demand of us instead of taking some time at the beginning of the day to kind of center ourselves and set some intentions and then give ourselves 
a conscious mind, a place to focus um, throughout the course of our day. And then the other thing I just like to say is, you know, just like um, when we go to a gym and we do bicep curls, we're strengthening our bicep. When we meditate and our mind wanders off and we notice our mind wandering off and bring it back to our breath or whatever the object of attention is, um, that's actually training ourselves to notice our thoughts. And we take that beyond the meditation cushion. So it's not just like, okay, I sit down for 10 minutes and I meditate. You start to notice your thoughts throughout the day, which is really important because a lot of our thoughts are um, negative and self-critical and self-judgmental and our thoughts create our reality. So um, I'm sure, as you know, as a, as a therapist, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy says our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our actions and behaviors and all of that. And so noticing our thoughts puts us in a position of a lot of power because we have the ability, the free will to choose our thoughts. And so when we notice we're thinking thoughts that are unsupportive, we can um, redirect our attention towards thoughts that are more nourishing and nurturing and, and kind towards ourselves, which really uplifts us. Yeah. I, one of the things that interests me a lot about meditation is, or I should say like one of the things I'm catching up on is this mind body connection, which is kind yeah. of like, duh, but I have always been a mind person. Like I yeah. love to read and I love to learn and I love, but so my reading and learning has taken me to the point where it's starting to show me some of the limitations of mind-based therapy. And that if you don't integrate the body and things like meditation into the work, it's, not as effective and not as impactful because you're ignoring a big part of people's systems. Totally. Yeah. There's a huge connection. I mean, our body is speaking to us all the time through sensations and the sensations are directly related to our emotions. And so when we can do certain types of meditation and incorporate, um, you know, somatic things and just kind of getting out of our head, which um, a lot of us carry a lot of mental energy in our head, but when we can get into our heart and into our body, um, our body really is, is, telling us all the time what we like and what we don't like um, through felt sensations. So it is really incredible. And that's why, you know, I'm a, a huge fan and proponent of therapy. And also for meditation, it's actually um, experiential, you know, and, and it empowers people to um, become their own self-healer, their own you know, inner, they can be, a, have a mother to their inner child who is, gets triggered and, and, you know, activated all of the time. Um, they can coach themselves and they can um, find ways to relax their nervous system and, and things like that. So it's a really powerful tool. Yeah. Do people ever have resistance to feeling their bodies with, when you're with them? Like that yeah. they don't want to know what's happening inside. And so that's what kind of keeps them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it starts with the breath. If you think of the breath as our connection to um, all of our senses and it, it, anytime we're focusing on our breath, it automatically brings us back into the present moment. 
And oftentimes when people first start meditating, they notice that their breath is really constricted or um, short or shallow, and they even have trouble breathing all the way into their belly, which is how we're, we naturally breathe. I mean, think of when a baby breathes, how their whole body breathes, you know, that's how we're um, meant to be breathing when we have a relaxed nervous system. And so it can take a lot of practice to get out of your head and into your body. I think Thich Nhat Hanh says the longest journey we'll ever take is the 18 inches from our head to our heart. So it is, that's why they call it a practice, but it is possible for everyone. Just as you said that, I noticed my breathing. Just you saying it makes me more aware of not yeah. very well, like, or not, not breathing as fully as. Yes. And even just noticing your breath as such an indicator of how you're feeling, because um, if you think about it, when we're in a dangerous situation, like we're getting chased through the jungle by a tiger, or we're, um, you know, about to get into an accident, we go, <gasps> right, and we get all tight and tense and constricted, and we breathe shallowly into our chest. And so actually, if there's one thing that I wish everyone would learn in kindergarten, it's that our breath is a tool that's free and always available to us. And it's the number one way to um, calm down our nervous system by taking nice, long, deep breaths in and elongated exhales out. You can send signals to your nervous system that you're in a safe space and it's okay to rest and relax. Because if you were, in fact, in a dangerous situation, you would never do that, right? If you were about to get in a car crash, you would not take a nice, long, deep breath and, and relax your body. So it's a, it's a very empowering tool, our breath. Yeah. Do you feel like our nervous systems are under more attack than they once were? Or unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, definitely. Um, you know, there was a, um, when I did my meditation teacher training, my, my certification, um, my teacher showed us a Harvard study that was done in the 1980s that said the average person goes into fight or flight 15 to 20 times a day. And I recently heard another doctor, a neurosurgeon giving a TED talk, and she referenced 40 times a day. And what the problem with that is, you know, we're just under like under complete information overload. And we're not meant to constantly be responding to uh, external demands, nor are we meant to constantly be seeing awful images on the news of things that happen all over the world, you know, time after time after time. That's really um, difficult on our, our nervous system to handle all of that. And what happens is our body goes into elevated um, responses, like our blood pressure increases and our heart rate increases and our cortisol production increases and everything. And every time we um, go into a state of fight or flight, then eventually our body brings its levels of all of those things back to you know, normal levels or homeostasis. But when we keep going into fight or flight, 
our body wants to be efficient. And so it actually doesn't bring our let our heart rate and our blood pressure and our cortisol and all of that down to the, the base levels that it's meant to. It stays at an elevated level. And that's when we get chronic stress. And unfortunately, yeah, um, most people today say they're feeling, you know, uh, uncomfortable amounts of anxiety almost all the time. Yep. So, yeah. And, and, and I, I want to emphasize for anyone that's feeling that way, because I, I, I have teenagers and I've talked to a lot of their parents and a lot of their friends. And so many people are taking, um, anti-anxiety medication today. And what they need to understand is that the vast majority of mild forms of anxiety can be treated without medication and doctors, medical doctors aren't trained in um, these types of tech, you know, tools and techniques. So they, they often just their, their first resort is to write a prescription. And um, there are many other ways that people can help themselves soothe their anxiety. Yeah. And I also always think it's important to note that anxiety is a perfectly natural response to what's happening in the world today, right? So there's nothing wrong with you for feeling anxious um, because anxiety arises when we feel like we can't control things. So we have thoughts of danger and nervous anticipation and we're anxious because we can't control things. So we start to worry about the future and catastrophize all the worst potential scenarios as to how things will unfold. And, um, you know, we have distorted thoughts, like looking at things in absolute all or nothing categories or overgeneralizing negative events and viewing them as um, never ending patterns of defeat. And then we start criticizing ourselves with like, I shoulds and shouldn'ts and have tos and labeling ourselves as you know, not enough or a loser or, you know, whatever we do. And these, these distorted thoughts cause our anxiety, but there are a lot of simple practical tools based on, you know, both modern science and ancient wisdom and um, positive or spiritual psychology that we can use to do the inner work of tapping into more ease and peace and trust within ourselves. And that, that, you know, oftentimes people, when difficult feelings arise, um, we, we tend to want to avoid them or, uh, you know, stuff them or do all the things that we do, but it's actually turning towards our um, uncomfortable feelings and our difficult feelings that gives that them room to kind of be embraced and then to dissipate. So, so what what kind of populations do you typically work with? What I'm just trying to picture what what this looks like for you. Do you work with all ages? What's the, the... I work with all ages. I love working with women. I especially love supporting women who are corporate executives that might be under a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety, um, just because there's so much I can do to help them. I have so many great um, tools and resources to make an impact. And I also love working with women because 
I feel like we're the leaders in love and our family. And when we, um, you know, our whole family responds to our energy. So if you think of, is it called a metronome? Those things that keep time for musicians. That sounds right. Well, when you put a bunch of those next to each other in a room, they they actually synchronize. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, our kids and our partners synchronize with us. And so when we can um, approach our day from a calm, centered space, mm-hmm. uh, it invites our whole family to do the same. And and that when we're in that good um, calm center, we don't, you know, if something happens, our kids says something disrespectful or our husband, you know, does something that we don't like, we're less likely to get triggered and reactive. And we're more able to just take a deep breath and pause and respond without, um, coming out of ourselves. Yeah. It's funny. Cause as you say that, I think it's not fair <laughs> that we're in charge of all that yeah. <laughs> responsibility. Like it I myself together because everybody kind of adjusts to how I'm doing. It um, is. I mean, just think of like when someone walks in the house and they're in a foul mood, you know it right away, you know? And yeah. in the same way, when we can like tap into our joy and our bliss and share that with other people, in my opinion, that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our family and actually humanity at this time. Um, I was looking at your Instagram page and just some of the different things that you offer. I saw that there was a sample meditation that I want to try later, but is there anything that you could, I don't want to do a whole meditation, but is there anything that you could do as like a, a way of kind of giving people a window to sort of what, what a coaching session might look like or how to kind of get yourself into that space for meditation. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, Maybe I will put a little, can I share my music or no? I'll just do it without music, actually. I'll do it without music. Um, Okay, this, I'll just do a little mini meditation on compassion. And so I'll invite everyone to find a comfortable seated position and close your eyes and place the palm of your hand over your heart and take some nice long slow deep breaths and feel the flow of love as you connect with yourself imagine you're breathing in and out through the center of your heart Breath coming into your heart and breath going out of your heart. Feel, sense, or imagine your breath coming in and out of your heart, breathing in compassion and love and ease. Breathing out, letting go of tension or tightness in your body. Breathing in compassion, love, and ease. Maybe thinking about someone who makes you feel this way, a friend, a beloved pet, or a time that you felt compassion, love, and ease. 
Inhaling compassion, love, and ease. And exhaling, you can open your eyes. So nice. I would like to take my blood pressure right now. Uh, <laughs> I've got it right here. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, we could just all take a little bathroom break or, you know, and, and just give ourselves some nice long, deep breaths and a moment to collect ourselves anytime throughout the day. That's always available to us. Yeah. And what is so powerful to me is that was so short, you know, I yeah. think a lot of times I get these images of like, you know, monks in, uh, gone for two months that are just meditating. Right. But this was very short and I felt it in my body. Yeah. You know? Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, all of the people I work with are just everyday people who have busy lives and they have jobs and social lives and, and families that they're committed to. And, um, most of the meditations I offer are between 10 and 20 minutes. Although there are some beautiful longer practices that, um, might be up to, to an hour on occasion, but, um, really just giving yourselves 10 to 20 minutes in the morning. And then, you know, when you notice that you're frazzled throughout the day, or when you notice that you um, are not breathing easily, then you can just take a minute or, or a few minutes and um, give that to yourself through the power of your breath. Um, and so I, I oftentimes when I'm working with corporations, I provide them with many meditations, like the one I just shared, there are, you know, so many different types um, but actually to use at the beginning of their meetings, because when we are in a state of fight or flight, what happens in our brain is that the, the connection between our amygdala and our prefrontal cortex shuts down and our prefrontal cortex is where all of our executive functioning resides. And so when we don't have access to our executive functioning, we don't, you know, we're not our most um, focused, productive, creative, uh, all of that. And so just taking a couple minutes to help everyone arrive and, and be present in the meeting and get centered and call in all of their energy and attention from all of the things that have gone on earlier in their day and the to-do lists and, and, you know, tasks that they have later in their day can really make a meeting, you know, hundreds of times more effective. Mm -hmm. Otherwise people's minds are wandering all over the place and it's hard to, you know, make the maximum impact. So. That's so cool. I love the idea of people sitting down and doing this together. Are corporations pretty open to this idea? I guess it depends on the corporate culture. And what more and more, you know, it definitely depends on the corporate culture. It's been really one thing that's been really exciting for me in the post COVID world is people in general and corporations seem much more open to this type of thing. Of course, there's, you know, a huge, um, level of, of burnout and attrition going on in corporations, because I think people, many people find themselves now in the same spot I was at the beginning of my journey where they're just completely burned out and their health is at risk and they're no longer willing to um, put their health on the back burner for the corporation that they're working for. And they really want their employers to care about their well-being. 
And um, interestingly, I was actually just reading this morning about a, a study from Deloitte where it said only 56% of employees feel that their company's executives care about their well-being. And I was just surprised to read this. The C-suite was interviewed with the same questions. They, they The executives believe that 91% of employees feel that their leaders care about them. So that's a huge gap that executives need to work to address because you know they're they're losing their employees and everything and and um there's also was a huge disparity where it, it said 81% of executives um felt that their employees had financial well-being while only 40% of employees report good or excellent financial well-being hmm. um and then yeah, there was just a huge amount of both categories reporting that they're always or often exhausted, stressed, overwhelmed, lonely, and depressed. And I mean, anyone who knows anything about how the brain works would see that that directly affects the bottom line of any corporation. So not only is it the right thing to do to care about your employees, and not only will it help you gain loyalty from your employees and retain them, um, it will also directly impact your bottom line because it helps people, um, you know, focus and be more productive and more creative. Have you had to coach any anyone around advocating for themselves as a part of their self-care? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I've been actually really... Um, for the vast majority of cases, very happy to see that corporations have responded with care and um, compassion. And even in fact, I worked with someone who was on a mental health leave of absence. And when she went back, her employer hired her back to in a new position, in a different position to help them implement mental health resources across like a company wide. And I just thought that was so cool that they're actually recognizing they're that's a job, you know, that's a job. Um and that's an important priority for at an executive level, they're prioritizing that. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was such a missed opportunity that human resources wasn't more like that. You know, that it and it seems like what you're saying is it's maybe evolving into that. I think there's been a stigma and, and 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 I think that that stigma is changing a lot in a lot of cases because the younger generation isn't going to put up with it, which I love. Yeah, love um, <laughs> but I, I think that it, for a long time, people have wanted their companies to care about their mental, emotional health. Um, but they are, they've been afraid to voice that because then it makes it look like they have a problem and they can't perform it's kind of a catch-22 right because then they don't want their boss to think they can't perform the job or you know take the promotion or whatever so um yeah it's the onus is on the corporations to recognize and understand that and there's all sorts of data out there showing that that's what uh employers want or employees want from their employers right now so I have seen a lot of positive change in that area. And I feel really encouraged. That's exciting. Yeah. It seems yeah. like 
was talking to another um, person um, about the changes. She had worked for Gap, Abby Davidson, and she helped do some things with like families in the workplace and all of these kinds of things that I think having more women in the workplace is helping shift things because it's like something has got to give here. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, the whole system is changed and a lot of the foundational layers have not. And it seems yeah. like now it's sort of moving in that direction. Exactly. It is. And it's, you know, it may, may be slower, it may be fast, but it, it does seem to be definitely moving in the right direction, which is so exciting in terms of flexible work hours and, and things like that as well. Yeah. So is there anything you were hoping we would talk about that I have not asked you about? Oh, geez. Um, no, I've really enjoyed our conversation, I guess. Um, hmm. No, I can't think of anything that I was hoping you'd ask me that you haven't. Okay. Well, what's exciting to me is I feel like people like you help make meditation more accessible. And I feel like that's exciting. It's exciting to be able to hear. I mean, if people go, if maybe you could share where people can find more about you. And I know you have a ton of resources uh, just about getting started and just here's what the idea is. It's it's been very absolutely. Actually, on my website, which is just anchormeditation.com, so A-N-C-H-O-R-M-E-D-I-T-A-T-I-O-N.com, you can sign up to receive, um, I think we call it the Meditation Kickstarter, and it's just on the homepage, and you can sign up to receive a series of five mini meditations over five days, much like the one that I shared. So that's always a great place to start. That's how I started of just making the commitment to five days and noticing how I felt throughout my day and noticing how much better I felt. And that was really motivating to stick with it. So um, that's a great resource. I post a lot on Instagram and LinkedIn. And then, yeah, I primarily, I work with individuals and couples and I take them through um, are six pillars of modern meditation. And those pillars are relaxation, compassion, emotional awareness, brain training, open heartedness, and manifestation. And so I typically work with people in 12 week increments so that we can go through those six pillars at least twice. And I do the same work with corporations. Usually I go in and I teach a six-week course based on those six pillars. Once a week, I do a workshop and lead a meditation. And then every day they get in their email a guided, a pre-recorded guided meditation to integrate the, the learning from the workshop into their daily life. And then at the beginning of the next session, we'll talk about, you know, any challenges that arose or questions that came up or things like that. So it's really fun. And, you know, there's, it's, there, there are many, many different types of meditation. There's breath work and sound healing and chakra clearing and also, you know, um, more traditional types, um, like loving kindness or, um, you know, there's an, an emotional awareness one called rain, which is recognizing and accepting your thoughts and emotions and kind of investigating them and then nourishing yourself. 
And so it's really cool to learn all the different techniques and see which ones um, are the best pathways for you. It's very individual based on, you know, your history and, and all of that. And so the cool thing is when people are done going through this, they have access to all of those tools and all of those practices. And then whenever they're having a difficult or challenging time in life, they know how to help themselves, you know? And so that's what I really want for people is just to be empowered to help themselves and find their own happiness without having to rely on medication. Um, You know, medication definitely has its place. I'm not anti-medication or anything, but I do think it's dramatically overused and Um, a lot of people can find the answers to most of their problems through meditation. I love that you work with couples. I think that's, that must be such a neat experience to see a couple go through that process together. It's really exciting to me. It's just a beautiful gift to their relationship and it creates, you know, a common spiritual foundation and understanding because we work a lot about self-compassion and also compassion for other people and understanding that we're all doing the best that we can. And you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the ACEs studies, it stands for adverse childhood experiences, but oftentimes that's a really impactful thing for people to learn about because adverse childhood experiences, like if there was uh, emotional abuse, substance abuse, any type of neglect, uh, separation in the home, all of these things contribute to the way we perceive the world. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that, you know, the more adverse childhood experiences someone has, unfortunately, the reality is um, that plays out in the rest of their life in terms of their education, in terms of their um, chance of being depressed, chance of being um, um, incarcerated, chance of having addiction in their own life and all of those. So these are patterns that repeat themselves. And I think it's really important to both understand how we were affected personally by our adverse childhood experiences And also when we're engaging with other people to understand, like, we have no idea what this person has faced. We've all had challenges. We're all suffering. We're all, you know, dealing with a lot of complex factors. And it, I think, gives us an opportunity to be more understanding and compassionate with other people as well. So awesome. And I can picture how, how that's like a trauma intervention, you know, it's like you're addressing trauma with, here are some ways to calm your nervous system without necessarily, and maybe you do sometimes without necessarily having to get into exploring the trauma. Cause a lot of people don't want to do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But our bot, the thing is people don't want to do that, but our bodies hold the trauma. That's what people need to understand. And so, um, trauma, you know, it can be a big T or it can be a little T, but trauma is anytime that we were faced with a, a 
circumstance or situation that we didn't have the tools at the time to deal with. So even if it was just someone lashed out at us and and spoke unkindly to us, if it shocked our system, emotions are energy and motion. And so they get stuck in our body when we experience trauma. And, um, you know, oftentimes people will say, oh, well, Kelly, I, I run, running is my meditation or tennis is my, you know, biking is my meditation, whatever. And that's true. Those things are all amazing ways of relieving stress in the present moment. But meditation is actually the way we release accumulated stress from the past. And so, um, yeah, things will arise as we meditate. And then we, as we allow ourselves to feel our feelings and move the energy through various techniques, we release that, that, that trauma and that stress and inflammation that we're holding in our body. And we, we begin to feel better physically as a result of that. So cool. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all that you do and all that, you know, it, I always get so excited talking to new people and just feel like I am always learning something new about how to approach things for myself or for clients I see, or for my own family. So I just really appreciate you sharing all that you've learned. Oh, thank you so much. I love talking to you, Megan. I appreciate you having me. And yeah, I hope you'll try the meditations on my website. I will. I started to do it earlier. And then I was like, I'm going to save that for later, like my dessert. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it'll it should feel like a giant exhale leaving your body. That's my that's my intent. So I hope you feel great afterwards. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you've thought of someone you know while you were listening, I would love it if you would share this episode with them. And if you really loved it, you could leave a five-star review. That helps people find the show and spread the word. Thanks so much for listening.